Hi guys, welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is actually Thanksgiving afternoon and I've had a great last couple of weeks. I was able to spend uh, 10 days up on the Arizona Strip uh, with my friend Danny Bright who had drawn a 13B tag. Uh, Dara and I drove up uh, the day before the season and uh, we had high hopes uh, Danny had hired uh, MDA Outfitters, Mule Deer Addiction Outfitters, Breck Bundy, Bronson Bundy, uh, Brett Simonson, uh, and their crew. Uh, it's the same group that Dar booked last year on Parker's Hunt, uh, Dar's uh, oldest son, uh, 13, I guess 14 years old now, uh, Drew. Uh, 13B last year and harvested a nice old buck that was like 220 inches and Breck had had his own tag last year and um, he harvested a giant mule deer that was I want to say 290 inch gross it's one of the largest uh, deer to ever come off the Arizona Strip Um, and so we were excited about this year and uh, Dar and I rode up Uh, we went through uh, from Phoenix here we went through Uh, Kingman in Las Vegas and on the way through Las Vegas we stopped in there at the park and saw those desert bighorn sheep Uh, were able to get some great photos and um, just proceeded on up to the strip and actually uh, there was a place that they wanted Dar and I to go uh, take our backpacking tents and our backpacking stoves and kind of camp out for several days and uh, we did so and, and Dar and I had a great time. We're able to locate a few nice bucks and uh, got some good video. You can see that on my Instagram. And uh, we had a, a couple other hunters in camp and uh, two bucks in particular that stood out. Uh, there, there was a, a girl named Samantha Davis. Um, her husband and her father-in-law, Kelly Davis, uh, she shot a buck. Eh, after a couple days, I can't tell you exactly what day it was, but a couple days into it, and um, it, it's a giant buck. Uh, it's probably in the low 230s would be my guess, um, and just an awesome, awesome buck. There's pictures of that on my Instagram, and then uh, Brett Simonson, uh, he guided uh, Niels uh, Foley uh, and his daughter. Uh, Niels had a 13B tag and his bucks a J-hook cheater buck real boxy frame I think he had a like a two, 202 mainframe typical and and um, had 23 inches of extra points including like a nine and a half inch J-hook cheater off his what would that be let's see his right I guess his right G3 um, just awesome bucks uh, I, I myself uh, saw a handful of bucks in that uh, 190 to 205 inch range. Uh, saw, saw probably the widest buck I've ever seen. Uh, typical buck that was probably, you know, 34, 35 inches wide. Um, a little thin horn, but a neat buck. Um, I saw actually driving down the road, I saw a really good boxy typical chocolate, chocolate antler typical um, right off the road. And he just literally looked up and put his nose right back down and um, uh, acted as if I wasn't even there and put his nose right back down and just started following 
um, the, the scent line that he, that he was on. And, um, I mean, I could have got out and shot him with my bow and he proceeded to just, just walk off, um, probably 195, maybe 200 inch typical. It was just a bomber. Um, so it was an awesome time. So it was an awesome time, uh, up there on the Arizona strip. And, uh, Danny kept, uh, waiting for that, you know, giant buck that everybody goes to the strip looking for. And, um, didn't end up turning up, uh, anything really, really big. And on the last day he was able to harvest a really cool buck. He's got uh, double eye, eye guards on each side. And you can see a picture of that on my Instagram, uh, at J Scott outdoors. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, part of, part of trophy hunting and part of, uh, trying to wait for the right buck and, and, you know, nothing better than shooting a buck on the last day. Um, or even going the, to the last day and not shooting at all. So um, just an awesome hunt. There were a lot of great deer killed this year. Um, actually, our target buck was killed on the first day, and I think he's going to go a little bit over 250 inches. Um, just an awesome deer. And there's a handful of, you know, 220 uh, to, you know, bucks in the high 230s. Um, so it was just a great year up on the Arizona Strip. Uh, had a good time. Uh, today's episode uh, is going to be a bunch of uh, question and answers. Uh, I, I get a lot of questions. I love fielding questions. I try and respond by email or, or by Instagram or Facebook messaging right away. I take great pride in, in having you guys spend your time listening and following my podcast. Uh, the least I could do is is get you guys a response and an answer back quickly. But uh, I also like to answer these questions on this podcast because I figure if one person asks the question, uh, there's maybe a handful of others that have the same question. So uh, we're going to go through some of these questions um, and I'm going to give you you know, some short answers, some long answers, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Uh, I want to thank you guys for listening to my podcast and giving me as much support as you do on this. I've got just an unbelievable uh, support system, loyal followers, uh, and I appreciate each and every one of you. And I love getting uh, text messages, emails, all sorts of messages with you guys with your latest trophies and and uh, your, your latest successes and quite honestly your failures too because... Uh, we all put uh, put our pants on one leg at a time, and, and uh, I have just as many failures as I do successes. So um, it's great to share in that experience with you guys. So feel free, send me, uh, send me anything. If you've got questions for me, if you've got comments, if you've got lo- people you'd like to hear on this podcast, uh, if you've got bucks or bulls or rams or you know, turkeys, whatever, uh, success photos, send them. I'll put them on my Instagram. Uh, I lo- there's nothing more gratifying to me than getting feedback from you guys, uh, saying you've learned something on this podcast and, um, it, you know, it's, it's just extremely rewarding. It's why I do it. And I appreciate the loyal support. Let's get into the questions here. You know, before we get into a couple of these specific questions, I've gotten a handful of random questions on these late elk hunts. And in Arizona, the late elk hunts uh, start uh, tomorrow, uh, Friday. It's always Friday after Thanksgiving. And, um, 
you know, the general consensus of the questions are, where am I going to find these bulls? Do you have any tips for me? You know, without making this whole episode about late elk hunting, the one thing I can tell you is it looks like the forecast for the weather uh, over the next week is going to be fairly cool, which is good. Um, But I still think you need to focus on the north and the northeast slopes. Uh, It's, you know, the rut is 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 over and those bulls have, uh, you know, often uh, gone to areas that are rough and tough. They've gone to the steep, nasty canyons. Uh, They're going to be on the thick hillsides. A lot of times the Manzanita hillsides um, with cover. Uh, But they want to have access to feed. So uh, some of the units in central Arizona, like uh, 22, 23, 6A, um, even say over like in 27, maybe over in the burn and 3C. um, In my opinion, you want to go to those steep, nasty canyons. You want to get to areas where you can get out on rocky knobs or get out on ridge lines where you have good visible um, uh, you know, a, a good visible corridor where you can get out there and really glass. Now, it's kind of a fine line because I feel like you need to be glassing into those north and northeast facing slopes. But in some of the country, uh, the bulls may not have enough feed. And so they're going to have to move from more of, say, some of the open slopes where there's more grass and more things for the elk to eat. And then, and then as, as the morning progresses, they move into those shady basins. So if you can find places where they've got, you know, grassy ridges to feed on or maybe burns, and then they've got some thick cover uh, to seek during the middle of the day, uh, you're probably going to do well uh, on those late elk hunts. Uh, you know, the colder the weather, the better, um, you know, it, it's, it's, not looking like it's going to be extreme temperatures with a lot of snow or anything. Um, so I think you just want to seek out those areas where you can really use your binoculars, get, find those rock piles where you can get out and see a lot of country and just glass, glass as much as you can. Uh, glass those those thicker shaded areas in the afternoon. Definitely put the sun in your face. Um, you absolutely need to be glassing with your sun in your face uh, on these late elk hunts. And a lot of times when you spot a bull, you're going to spot four or five bulls together. Uh, one of the great things about uh, late elk hunting uh, in general across the West is they pair back up after the rut with their buddies, uh, much like they do in the summer bachelor herds. And uh, if you see one bull, uh, keep keep watching because probably a handful of bulls are going to feed out. Uh, another bit of advice I can give you is uh, let's take some good clean shots, guys. Um, let's make sure we have good broadside. Good, you know. Don't don't be shooting too far. Make sure you know your rifle. And and um, last thing we want is is a bunch of bulls being wounded. Um, and and in in that regard too, if if you hit a bull and he's still standing, shoot him again. Um, I've seen too many bulls. Actually, I've seen a lot of animals knocked down and guys high fiving and. You think you got them and you don't. Um, so make make all those shots count and um, make sure they're down and stay in the gun until you know for sure 100% that they're down. Uh, if you're using a buddy and you're, you're using the buddy system, it's always good to have someone stay on the elk uh, as you approach just in case. Um, and if, you, if you're willing to communicate with that person, 
if that's your style, uh, it's always good and, and efficient to have someone watching. And if they're if the elk are able to move, um, that that you can know that hey, the elk's getting up. The other thing is, I always like to approach elk kind of from from above, um, and I like to approach a, a downed animal uh, with the notion that it's not down and it's going to get up. So I'm kind of on guard. My scope is down on the lowest power and um, kind of real cognizant of what's going on and um, approach from above or approach in a way that if the bull does get up, you have a, a big field of view where you're going to have a chance to get another shot. So um, you guys uh, go get them on those late elk hunts and send me some pictures of your successes. I've also had a handful of questions on these desert bighorn sheep and Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep that are kicking off here in about a week. Uh, December 1st is usually the uh, opening uh, day of desert sheep season or sheep season in general in Arizona. And the one thing I tell people all the time is your sheep hunt in Arizona is a once in a lifetime deal. And for some of you that don't apply in other states, you just apply in Arizona, it's probably the only time you're going to get a sheep tag. One thing as a sheep hunter and a sheep guide that I see over and over and over is it seems like the mentality of this is a once in a lifetime sheep hunt comes out of guys' mouths, but they don't, uh, their actions don't don't really match that in in I'm not picking on anybody I'm just telling you in general what I've witnessed and what I've witnessed is guys hunt for a day or two they see a decent ram and they shoot it and that's fine for some people that that's fine uh, I would highly recommend if you haven't already been doing a lot of scouting you've got the whole month to hunt sheep uh, in some of the units, there's only one tag. In some of the units, you know, there's a couple tags. So the, the pressure on the sheep is usually not very intensive. Um, and most sheep hunts are done in the first two days. So if you, if, for one, if you're hunting in a unit that maybe has a lot of tags, maybe the best thing you could do is not show up for the first couple days. Let, let the, you know, most of the hunters kill their rams and then spend two or three weeks sheep hunting. I highly recommend uh, to you guys out there to really energize yourself and to focus on trying to take inventory on as many rams as you can in the unit. And if, if you haven't been scouting a whole lot, now is your time to really focus on finding rams, documenting rams, you know, getting your phone scope devices and, and, and having photos and having video on your phone. And, and try, I go in with the mentality that I want to see every single ram in the unit. And if you go in with that mentality, usually that keeps you from, you know, seeing just a nice average ram and just wanting to shoot it. I think most of the time people that draw these tags haven't put in the time. So like on the, you know, the night before the season starts, they go and they glass up a decent ram. And they go, well, I know I haven't scouted and that just looks like a nice ram. I'm going to go ahead and take it. And, you know, if everybody's schedule is different, but if you have the ability to spend time out in the field 
desert bighorn sheep and Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep, that is definitely one hunt that I would say take your time. And it it's inevitable that, you know, if you're hunting for a week or 10 days, you're going to get tired. Uh, most all of these hunts are not very far away from uh, your home. Uh, and even the furthest units, you know, if you've got a four or five hour drive, drive home, go home for two or three days, rest up, do some laundry, and then go back re-energized. Uh, but put some time, focus on these uh, sheep hunts. I think it's important. Uh, the weather, it looks like uh, we're going to have a pretty cool uh, opener across the state. Uh, looks like it's going to be nice conditions for, for sheep hunting. Uh, I think the cooler the weather, the more the sheep will be on their feet, the more the sheep will be uh, visible. Uh, they will be less likely to be hitting those shady pockets. They'll be more likely to be laying out on those rocks, catching some sun, especially in the morning. Um, and um, they're pretty thin skinned. So, you know, it's, it's amazing how they kind of seek that sun. And I think the weather is uh, going to play right into the hunter's hands as far as sheep being visible. Uh, as far as knowing what ram that you need to harvest i mean that's a personal decision um if you've hopefully done a bunch of scouting and you know exactly what ram you're after um then it makes your job a little bit easier and i, I would say that if you have a particular ram that that is your number one ram you feel like that's the biggest ram in the unit or you feel like you know for whatever reason that's the ram you want to harvest I challenge you to stay focused uh, on that ram. And, and actually your job as a sheep hunter becomes easy um, when you're looking for a particular ram. And if you glass up a, a band of sheep and you, you, know, you see a handful of rams and some ewes and it's not the ram you're looking for, you don't want to waste too much time there. You want to look and make sure the ram's not around, but then just keep looking for your target ram. Uh, I think so many times people get scared that they're not going to get one or they feel like their target ram is, you know, dead or they're not going to see them again. And I, I just encourage you to spend the extra amount of time and be diligent and persistent on a particular ram if you've got your eyes on one. If you don't have your eyes on a ram uh, and you're doing your scouting now, that's okay. Just uh, don't get in a hurry and, um, you know, video and take photos of each ram and try and establish, uh, you know, the characteristics and the age of those rams and, and um, try and look at as many rams as you can. Uh, and if you look at as many rams as you can and you shoot the biggest one that you found, usually uh, you're going to be pretty happy. If you're wondering uh, about how to field judge bighorn sheep, you can go on my website, uh, jscottoutdoors.com. You can scroll down and there's some uh, tutorials on my website about field judging desert bighorns and Rocky Mountain bighorns. You can also click over to my blog. Uh, there's a link right on my website to my blog and down on the lower right hand corner, there's going to be uh, a, a bunch of links or a bunch of keywords and it's field judging bighorn sheep and there's probably 30 or 40 different posts on uh, field judging sheep uh, and, and again 
Uh, most importantly, like you're going to read in those posts, you want a ram that's got big bases. So 60% of a sheep score is in, in their mass. And in order for a sheep to score high, you have to have big bases. I love it helps to have big bases because the bigger the base, the bigger your measurements carry throughout the horn. So that's that's a good key to remember. Uh, the other thing is when you're aging those rams, uh, look for that dark uh, four-year ring. Uh, the the, the four-year ring is going to be the darkest discoloration on the horn. And then as you count rings towards the pedicle, towards the base or say towards the hair, you, you're going to want to count uh, from that four-year ring uh, towards towards the base of the of the horn. And you know, most all sheep hunters are striving for that you know eight-plus-year-old ram. So you're going to want to be able to count uh, at least uh, three more rings, if not more, uh, past the four-year ring. And a good rule of thumb, like you'll read in those uh, field judging posts, are if that four-year ring is, when you're looking at a sheep head on and he's looking at you, and that four-year ring is like level with the ear tips, usually that's a, that's a nine, ten-year-old ram. And that's a good sign. Is, and, and if that uh, four-year-old discolored ring, the, the most discolored, the darkest ring on the horn is kind of about a quarter of a way between the ear and say um, the the base of the horn, that's probably only a six or seven, five, six or seven year old ram. So you want that dark discoloration uh, to be as far down the horn or as close to the ground as possible. Um, and then the, the closer you get to the head or the base where, of the pedicle where the horn comes out, the smaller the rings are going to be because as a sheep ages, the horn grows less. Once they get to about eight years old, those rings start getting really close together uh, just because they're, the most growth you know, is, is their lamb tips, two-year-old, three-year-old, four-year-old. Four-year-old is when they become sexually mature. That's what creates that uh, dark discoloration uh, ring um, the most distinct ring on their horn. So uh, hopefully those tips will help you. If you guys have any questions at all during your sheep hunts or prior to your sheep hunts, feel free to email me. If you've got pictures and you want uh, advice or estimation on score, uh, I will give you uh, my best advice. And I just encourage you to give it your best shot. And if you get tired, go home for a few days. Don't shoot a ram just to shoot because you need to get home. Uh, the, the, there's a reason that the season is a month long, and I just encourage you guys to take as much time as possible. Guys, as you know, GoHunt.com Insider is the sponsor of this podcast, and they've been with me since the beginning. And I, I just want to tell you that they are the industry leader and number one source for Western hunting information for a lot of reasons. Uh, if, if you join Go Hunt Insider, you can go on the filtering 2.0 and you can search uh, by state and you can filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, uh, specific dates and harvest success percentages. And you can find the hunt uh, that you're exactly looking for. 
uh, as an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for an insider membership uh, and use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash insider uh, and, and follow the instructions to sign up. Click the blue join now button. Use the J Scott promo code and you're going to get that $50 Kuyu gift card. Uh, with the application season coming up, uh, you are going to be uh, amazed at the data uh, and everything's in one spot. So you can go on, look for Arizona. You can go look for, they just released Oregon, uh, New Mexico, Colorado, Wyoming, Montana, uh, Utah, Mon- uh Wyoming, all the Western states. It, it's it's an unbelievable resource, and uh, go check it out. Use the J Scott promo code. Okay, here's a question from Randy Sieber from Leavenworth, Kansas. Jay, first off, I'd like to say I enjoy your podcast. I listen to everyone, sometimes several times. I have learned a lot from them. I wanted to get your opinion on some binos. I have a Swarovski 85 millimeter spotter and a pair of Leica Duovids 8 by 12 by 42 and would like to get a smaller lighter pair for all day carry elk deer and hopefully a sheep hunt one day I have a chance now uh, with all the sales to pick up a pair of last year's model 8 by 32 ELs new or I can get this year's 8s or 10 by 42 SLCs which do you think is a better glass or choice? Also, is the late season archery over-the-counter mule deer hunt a good deal for a DIY hunt? Thanks for your time, Randy from Leavenworth, uh, Kansas. Okay, so this is a good good question here. Um, you're asking if the 8x32 ELs or the 8 or the 10 by 42 SLCs. First of all, I can tell you, I think you're you're thinking right by going with Swarovski. Uh, I've used Swarovski for years. Uh, I think Swarovski has that wow factor uh, over any other binocular. Uh, I definitely think if you want the highest quality optics, you need to be using what I call the big three, uh, Swarovski, Leica, or Zeiss. Um, I feel like they are hands down better than the competition. Uh, I think anybody that argues with that has not honestly taken a look at the the big three compared to the others. I think it's night and day difference. I think the other companies, uh, what I call the middle tier companies, they do a great job of marketing. Uh, They do a great job of getting some of these high profile hunters and guides to say that their optics are the best, but quite honestly, they're not. They're probably not too happy with me, but that's my opinion, and I'm entitled to it, just like you're entitled and they're entitled to their opinion. Um, Swarovski Optic, is, in my mind, is the best uh, optic company out there uh, from their customer service uh, down to the quality of glass. Uh, I just, I've used them for years, and I've been very, very happy with Swarovski's. I have the 10 by 42 ELs. Those are the binoculars that are around my neck most. I also have the 10 by 42 EL range. Um, but you're asking about the 8 by 32 ELs compared to the 8 or 10 by 42 SLCs. I think since you already have the duovids, 
Um, I would probably recommend the ELs and I second to that, I would probably go with the 10 by 42 SLCs. I think uh, having a nice lightweight pair of binoculars that as you're walking up a ridge or glassing or, you know, archery elk hunting that you could have that has a big field of view, maybe not as, as um, high a power, you know, an eight power is a great round the neck binoculars. Uh, for years, I had those eight by 42 ELs, uh, excuse me, eight and a half by 42 ELs. And, and I loved those as well. So I would probably go uh, with the eight, eight by 32 uh, EL binoculars. The second choice would be the 10 by 42s. I think by picking up that extra two power, you're not missing much there in weight, but you're adding two additional power. Those binoculars can be also placed on a tripod. Uh, and I glassed for years before I got 15s uh, with 10 by 42 SLCs and, and loved them. Darn, I both had 10 by 42 SLCs for a couple years before we got our 15s. Uh, hopefully that helps. Hopefully I didn't make any of the other manufacturers too mad, but um, it's it's night and day difference. It's like comparing a, a Ford to a Ferrari. It's uh, not even a comparison uh, to me. Uh, the late season archery over-the-counter mule deer hunts, are they a good DIY hunt? To me, the Arizona deer uh, January uh, over-the-counter archery hunts are one of the best hunts in the state of Arizona. You get to hunt coos deer or mule deer. You just buy a deer tag. It's good for either uh, coos or mule deer. And you get to hunt them right during the middle of the rut. I mean, the peak of the rut from January 1st to the 31st of December, uh, virtually all over the state, uh, anywhere you go, you can either see coos or mule deer, and they're both going to be rutting. So yes, I think it's a phenomenal time. Not only that, when most of the country has horrible weather, uh, you know, you can come out here and enjoy some of the Arizona sunshine while still pretty cool, you know, 25, 30 in the morning, some of the places that, you know, get 65, 70 degrees uh, during the day. Um, just a Beautiful time to be in Arizona and, and uh, definitely highly recommend, Randy, uh, the over-the-counter uh, mule deer hunts. Next question. Uh, Mike Stansel says, thank you for the recommendation on the uh, Solo Drifter boots. Bought a slightly pair of used boots off eBay for $70. Bucks. Uh, super boot, great sole and support, but light and nimble, true to size. Thank you, Jay. Yeah, Mike, uh, I've uh, really enjoyed using my Asolo Drifters. I had the Asolo Fugitives before that. And um, another pair of boot that I've been using this season off and on is the uh, Crispy Guide Boot. It's a 10-inch boot. I believe it has 200 grams of Thinsulate. And um, I'm going to be wearing them on this upcoming sheep hunt. I was trading back and forth between my Asolo Drifters and the crispy guide boot uh, up on the Arizona Strip. Uh, the Asolo Drifters are going to be more of a lightweight, kind of a light hiker, but they do have a real stiff sole. I wore them on my archery elk hunt, uh, whereas the crispy guide boot um, is kind of a bomb proof, has a nice uh, rubber rand, has a Vibram sole. It's a, it's a full leather boot. 
Um, I, I, I do like my crispy guides. They're just about broke in. Um, as far as comfort, uh, those crispy guide boots have been extremely comfortable. I've been very impressed. But like any full leather 10-inch uh, boot, it, it takes a little while um, to make sure that they're fully broken in. I mean, the last thing I want to be is five miles in and, and you know, have hot spots or blisters. Um, so I've been a little bit ginger in, you know, breaking them in. Uh, but they should be fully ready for the sheep season and, and, and the coos deer season uh, coming up. The only thing I'll say about the Asolo Drifters, uh, one day on the strip, I uh, woke up in my backpacking, my Kuyu um, Mountain Star tent, and um, it was 12 degrees, and I got out on my glassing point, and it was, my feet got very cold. The wind was blowing, and um, my my feet in the Asolo Drifters, I should have, uh, I should have worn the uh, crispy guide boots uh, that day. I probably would, would have been better off. Uh, thanks for the question, Mike. Uh, hope that helps. Guys, I want to give a shout out to Daniel Matais. Uh, Daniel is uh, going to be 29 on November 30th. I want to say happy birthday to Daniel Matais. Daniel uh, grew up hunting and fishing, is extremely passionate obsessed about hunting. Uh, he hasn't been able to go hunting as much uh, since he moved to Oahu for a job a year ago, uh, but he's an avid listener of the podcast. And I just want to say, Daniel, I hope you get have a happy uh, 29th birthday. And uh, wow, uh, living in uh, Oahu, what an, what an awesome place to live. Um, I know if you're a fan of Western big game hunting, you probably feel like you're a long ways from, from, from where you need to be, but I hear there's some great hunting in Hawaii. I know there's some fantastic fishing and, uh, just want to say happy birthday and 29 years old. Uh, you've got your whole life in front of you. Uh, make every day count. I feel like, uh, you know, I always tell people, I, I tell the young guys, uh, from that age, 20 to 40, I think is a, is a real defining time. You can define a lot of things that go on in your life and the outcome or, you know, quote unquote, the success according to, you know, blah, 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 according to whoever, the, the, the mainstream, whatever. Um, between 20 and 40 is, is you make a lot of decisions in that, in that 20 years that can define uh, your life and, uh, just make every day count and, um, try and make good decisions and, uh, uh, treat each day as it, as if it was your last. And, um, you know, just happy birthday to you, Daniel. Got a question here from Dusty Trails on Instagram. That's Dusty underscore trails. Hey Jay, I know you're a busy guy, so hopefully I'm not bothering you too much, but I have a quick question. I have heard you mention a few times and just recently on your newest coos deer podcast uh, that you can find a habitual coos deer in the same spot unless they get pushed by hunters. When you say push, I hear other guys say it, don't know exactly what it means by it. In other words, will a coos deer get pushed just from hearing the dozens of gunshots from opening day and just move to a new canyon or do they need to be physically pushed out by hunters walking close and bumping them uh dusty that's a great question first i will tell you that 
uh, a coos deer has a home range and they typically don't like to live in an area where humans are interacting with them a whole lot. So uh, to answer your question, if you bump or other hunters bump a coos deer buck, let's talk about a buck. Uh, if it's way back in the middle of nowhere, I'm going to say that that buck is probably going to come right back to that place. And now if constantly, let's say a camp, let's say you're five miles back in, in the wilderness and you know a week before the season starts, a camp moves right into their home base, right into their core area. They've got a campfire going, they're riding mules in and out or, you know, just, you know, interfering in their core area i think they're going to move a canyon over if if a group of hunters happen to walk a ridge and you see them and they jump your buck uh and the buck runs and those hunters let's say the hunters see him let's say the hunters shoot at them but they don't hit them i think in two or three days if you're in a remote area that buck is probably going to come right back and be on that same ridge now, I don't think it, if, if they get continued pressure, I think they're going to move over a canyon or two until things settle down. Um, but yes, I think humans can push deer, both does and bucks, and move them. And I think we see that every year when you scout out bucks in southern Arizona or in central Arizona, and you have them pegged, and then all of a sudden the camps roll in, the people are in, people are playing the music, people are walking, people are shooting. You'll see those bucks um, either lay really low and really tight or they will move over in, you know, the next canyon over. But a good rule of thumb is, you know, get a mile from the nearest road, uh, get away from where it's easy for, for people to get and you're going to have uh, better success. Uh, I hope that answers your question. Guys, don't forget to support the sponsors of this podcast, GoHunt.com Insider. You get a $50 Kuyu gift card when using the J. Scott promo code when signing up. Uh, RealGameCalls.com, when you order any calls, you get 20% off. PhoneScope.com, when you order uh, PhoneScope Digiscoping Adapters, you get 10% off by using the J. Scott 16 promo code. And at the Outdoorsmans.com. Uh, when you order optics or any of the gear there, uh, you get 10% off by using the J. Scott promo code. Uh, you're also going to be listening to part two coming up here of these question and answer sessions. Hope you enjoy the episode.